Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today we have a friend calling in from Miami, but she actually lives in Dallas, Texas. And we're going to talk a little bit about the brain and, and, and what it does to our lives. And, you know, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, uh, I want to welcome Dr. Caroline Leaf to the show. How are you doing, doctor? Very good. Thanks. Great to meet you, John. Thank you for having me on your show. Looking forward to the chat. Awesome. Neuroscientist. What does neuroscientist mean in today's time? It's changed quite a bit. Um, I studied, um, I, I've been in the field 40 years now, and when we, when I was studying back in the 80s, neuroscience was very new. So it was more around neurology and that kind of thing. And I did some of the first work in the field in on neuroplasticity, which is the, uh, that your mind can change your brain. So it's the ability of the mind to change the brain and the fact that we're always different. So my field um, of speciality has been in what we call psychoneurobiology. And I did clinical work and I've also done research. I still do research. I still have a full research team and we run trials and publish papers. And I don't practice clinically anymore, but I write books and I've created a mental health technology platform to help people to understand the mind, what it is, how the mind changes the brain and how the mind-brain-body connection drives us and how we can manage that. No matter what age, and no matter whether it's a huge trauma or whether it's just the day-to-day -day struggles, how do we as humans manage that process and bring a level of peace into our lives? One thing that I got into a discussion about was about where do we pick this up at? Because I think there's a lot of things in our environment that we don't see that have a major, major effect on what direction we go in life. And these things we don't see, is that something that you look at? Is that something that has came into play in this field? Or has it always been into play? That idea has always been in place. So for thousands of years, philosophers and people studying human behavior and that kind of thing have always questioned or tried to understand the difference between the mind and the brain and how life influences us and how we change. And it's only from about the mid-90s that neuroscience was really birthed into being a field that looked very much at how the brain works and everything became about the brain and the brain producing the mind. And whereas that's only one way of looking at it, the, the bigger way of looking at it is that the mind and brain are separate and they work together. You've, you've hit a very important point. How much of life that's going on around us are we absorbing without even being aware of it? And it's in the field that, that I move in, the psychoneurobiological field, we propose that it's up to 90 to 95% of what you're being exposed to is, is literally wiring into the networks of your mind-brain-body connection without you even being aware of it. Life is impacting us in multiple ways, but we have built within our networks, our psychoneurobiological network, protective systems. Like we have our immune system in the brain and the body that's there to detect problems, we have almost like an 
an immune system in our mind, brain, body network, the actual network that works with the physical immune system to scan and see, okay, so you've got all this information coming in and wiring in and what's disruptive, what's disrupting you, what's, you know, what is not good for your function as a functioning as a human in all aspects. And then that information, when we, a lot of that's done while we're asleep, but also while we're awake. And when we wake up or when we're awake, we get these prompts and these prompts are things like our emotions and our perspectives and sensations in our body and our behaviors. And all of those are like signals that are coming from the non-conscious mind, which is the biggest, most intelligent part of us, telling us um, to be aware of certain things. So it's kind of prompting us to pay attention to those signals, how we're showing up, to see why are we showing up like that, to be able to then deconstruct and reconstruct things that we've been maybe exposed to that we didn't. Well, as I said, 90 to 95% of what we're exposed to is wiring in and not all of it's going to help us. A lot of it's going to make us feel disturbed or disrupted. And that's why mind management is so vitally important. It's a life skill that is fundamental to just being a human. And it is literally learning to listen to the signals which are telling us about the stuff that we haven't consciously paid attention to, to pay attention, as well as the conscious stuff that we've consciously paid attention to that we've chosen to focus on and how that's disrupting how we're functioning. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I just, I'm trying to kind of set up a thought process of let everybody know this is science, first of all. But I do believe scientists sometimes are stuck in certain lanes that because the laws of science or whatever you call them, keep you in a certain lane and don't really try to connect the dots outside of that. But with that being said, and I'm just trying to cover all the bases here, based on that understanding, one thing I've, I've spoke about is pocket narratives, right? And understanding that when we're born, you know, and I think the key where you said in that answer was unconscious. When you're born, you know, you're you're being programmed and we get to a certain point in life based on how we're programmed. Obviously, we bring some lineage and percentage makeup to the table that has a factor and your environment has a factor as well. But as we're going through these life experiences and being programmed and we start to respond to things with our unconscious bias at a certain point. And if you understand that and you reverse engineer that, you know, and you think about pocket narratives from culturally all the way down to how we eat our foods. I got into the conversation with Giles Joe about calories and how that calorie narrative is somewhat of a sales tool in society since World War II. And it's crafted a way how people eat their food for, you know, to help capitalism. So if you understand that, and you understand we take that pocket, let's say we take that pocket narrative out of play. We take some of the cultural pocket narratives out of play. Because I'm a firm believer in to reset or birth things the right way is the only way we can get any type of change. So why do we continue? If this is understood in the science community and it's understood universally through these studies, why do we continue to regurgitate things that we don't need to to keep that in our minds? You understand what I'm saying? When we could get rid of these pocket narratives to level, you know, we're leveling the playing field the wrong way. We need to level the playing field as human beings. So why aren't we understanding that, eliminating some of these pocket narratives to create a fresher mindset for kids as they're growing up? It's an excellent question and it's and you're so right how people get stuck in a lane. So essentially the word programming sounds like we are 
mechanical kind of robots. But we're, so these, when we talk about this non-conscious 95% that's going in, are non-conscious, so it's different to the unconscious. We have a conscious mind, which is when, when you're awake, or conscious mind is awake. Then you have the subconscious, which is actually a bridge between that and the non-conscious, N-O-N. Unconscious is when you're asleep or knocked out or under anesthesia. So there's quite a, 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 a clear distinction between them. In the general narrative, people often talk about the subconscious and the unconscious as though they're these programmed things that have got programs running. So if we just sort of clarify, it's similar, but it's not totally correct. So in our non-conscious, N-O-N, that's a very intelligent part of us. It's our very we are actually very intelligent beings, as we know. We've got this incredible wisdom, but we can also make a lot of mess. Um, and in this, within this wisdom that we have inside of us, in fact, in science, we talk about being wired for love, literally in the psychoneurobiological mind-brain-body networks. Within that, we have this constant search for survival, which is similar to what I was saying in the first question you asked me. That is a search that is happening to see what is disruptive to our functioning. So which of those networks that we've wired in that look different in the mind, brain, and body, they're in three different places. Every experience becomes a group of memories that build into a thought. So thoughts contain memories, and those are representative of our experiences. And we're building our experiences into these networks, these tree-like structures structures in our brain and they look different in our cells and different in the mind but we're building every experience from literally at some point late in the womb and till the age we're at now into these networks and these networks drive us and we consciously doing some of we unconsciously as you were saying so the pocket narratives are a combination of what we consciously pay attention to as well as what we've unconsciously built in and that we haven't managed. So the key to the pocket narrative concept, which is not being addressed sufficiently, which is a big part of the work that I do, so I'm very glad you brought this up, is that we need to manage our minds. So I call it mind management. So we need to be looking at how are we showing up as humans and understanding how I show up and you show up in our day-to-day -day lives and everything we do is influenced by all these experiences that have been absorb our mind and built into the network and that are driving us and the conscious and non-conscious stuff and in within those are these as you say, I like the word pocket narratives and if we don't observe and self-regulate and question then we just keep on doing the same old thing those driving networks come up and we just get used to that and we it's become habits and habits is a huge area of research that I do we've we've got a big study running at the moment but I've shown with my research which is supported by other research that for something to become these pocket narratives that drive us we would have spent at least nine weeks at least on thinking about that and stabilizing it and growing it into a network that is strong and that network will each the more you use it whatever you think about the most is growing so when we keep doing the same old thing we haven't stood back and questioned the impact and said, okay, well, I'm doing this, but is this actually helping me as a person, my sense of peace, my sense of optimization, my mental health, my relationships? How is this, this you know, standing back and observing how I'm functioning and questioning where is this coming from? When we do that, and we do that, which we are as humans, we are actually pretty good at doing once we train ourselves in that skill. And we pretty much all our wiring is in, 
frontal lobe and our, our networks and our mind brain body connection are all designed to be optimized like this when we self-regulate and stand back and observe that is when you'll recognize okay that group of signals is attached to that pocket narrative and that is actually disruptive to my relationship for example do i want to carry on like this and then you you start a process of deconstruction and reconstruction and reconceptualization and you build a new network it's the same network but you change what it looks like you change the root source so we you can never get rid of an experience that you have or a, a, a mem- set of memories that have formed into thoughts that are with you forever. But you can change what they look like. So you can change the nature of that pocket narrative. And that requires us managing our mind and not just going through, you know, going through the motion of being alive and just reacting automatically. And I don't even like to use the word automatically, but it is what's happening. You, you're just going to run according to your, what's driving you, these networks. Or you can stop and say, yeah, I don't like how I'm reacting. I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't, it's not, I'm not getting where I want to be. These things that are, where's this coming from? Something from childhood, something from work, something from what I'm thinking about the most or what I'm focusing on and, and working out where, and then you can deconstruct. So you can't change what's happened and your experience, but you can change what it looks like inside the networks. You can literally using the concept of mind-driven neuroplasticity, which is the fancy word for mind management, you can look at the signals, takes you to the pocket narrative, which is that thought with all of its memories, to the root source and decide, okay, how am I going to change this? And then regrow that. And that takes cycles of around about nine weeks to do. So it's a lot of work, but messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. And you know that's kind of what you're referring to. People just get stuck. Why don't they change? Because they're not managing their mind. And we see this now over the last 40 years, there's been a very clear research and also gut feel, just if we go to the human experience in its, at its most gut level, and, and it's backed up scientifically, there's been a shift away from really exploring our stories and what we're going through and why we do what we do and all that kind of stuff, moving towards, okay, that's a list of symptoms. You have those emotions, those things, diagnose and label. And people are getting stuck in a very mechanistic biomedical model, and that'll keep us even more stuck. And that's what the, the evidence is showing. And it's counter to who we are as humans because we're naturally very curious. We naturally want to know why and explore and philosophize and obviously on different levels, but as humans, we are. And when you, when you start suppressing that, you will get a mental health crisis. So our current mental health crisis that we're living in at the moment is actually only a symptom of a larger crisis. And that larger crisis goes straight back to your question. And it is one of mind management. It's, it's a mind crisis that we're sitting with. Well, I think we identified something that's that's not recognized. This is just something that came up in my mind. I understand what you mean when you say subconscious. You know, there's a subconscious, there's an unconscious bias, and there's consciousness. And I've always said, however heavy that programming is in your subconscious, and you don't understand what that is, it's harder. That's why it's harder for human beings to get to consciousness in this day and time. When you take this to a bigger scale, a cultural scale, right? And let's say we're, if we're we're, if we're starting at subconscious and we realize that emotions are the juggernaut of the universe, why is there not a fourth level there? Because I think if you take environment, you take lineage, you take all these factors that we're not really identifying when someone's brought into the world. 
because I developed this process on how to eliminate unconscious bias using content and collecting data and almost, you know, creating a pure source by law of attraction. So you think there could be like, if you understand that and it's a little deep, so what is that other path? Because if you understand going back to emotions as a juggernaut of the universe, if you if you take emotions away, right? Why are we not identifying another class pre-subconscious about what you're bringing to the table with that lineage or makeup or whatever that is? And, and how do we address that? Is that? Has that been thought of? Yeah, that's part of the huge part of the work that I do. So let me quickly explain how the mind actually works. The mm-hmm. mind has got a conscious level. That's easy for us to understand. That's what awake when you're awake. The subconscious is not actually what people think it is, okay? The subconscious is a portal. It doesn't store anything. It is the state between consciousness and non-conscious, N-O-N. So we've got conscious, subconscious, non-conscious, infinite, huge, and that contains our epigenetics, our lineage, every experience that we have had since a certain point and everything that's come through generationally through the sperm and the ova that is part of the physical so so you're saying non-conscious 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 is that beginning piece the beginning piece that's that massive piece that has not been researched sufficiently and that's yeah i I don't mean to interrupt you but it's that's interesting the non-conscious is why that's not has has not been identified properly the reason i say this is when i got into this and able to eliminate unconscious bias with content because People don't realize that all social media was created by human behavior. Mm-hmm. The only difference is the algorithm. Social media and, and human behavior are a mirror of themselves. Mm-hmm. So I just, this is why, you know, go ahead. I'm just, that's why I interjected there. That, no, that's no, interesting not, to me. It is. It's very interesting. And it is always a, a question to me. It's like, why don't people spend more time studying the non-conscious? And it's, I have the same conversation with so many scientists and so many people about People always say the unconscious and the subconscious, but they, the unconscious is when you're asleep. It's not doing anything. It's when you're asleep or knocked out or under anesthesia. The subconscious is a portal. The work is in the non-conscious. And that is a huge, infinite part of us that is incredibly intelligent. It's it's where our wisdom resides, that, that um, survival mode, that wired for love, that Everything that we've been experiencing is like this massive teeming amount of energy. And it's within those networks that we, that the non-conscious also has this deep ability to explore and whatever. And then it sends messages through the portal of the subconscious into the conscious mind. And you talk about emotions being the juggernaut. So emotions are one of the signals that the non-conscious mind will send through to get our attention. It's a signal. It's not a disease. It's not an illness. Emotions are carrying um, tremendous amount of information, but emotions are one of four groups of signals. Emotions never live alone. Emotions always have representation in the body because of our psycho neurobiology. Mind stores everything in the mind, brain, and body. So when we have an emotion, we will have a physical representation. When we have an emotion and a physical representation in our body, I call it bodily sensation, that, you know, the whole concept of body keeping the school, that whole thing, science-based, emotions go with that bodily sensation. And then there's the third one is behavior. How my mo- the emotion is linked to a bodily sensation is linked to a behavior, what you say, what you do, how you say it, how you do it. And then the fourth one is those three generate a perspective. So we need to look at those four 
as being a um, signals that are coming from the depths of the non-conscious, which is collectively our experiences as humans that we've consciously and non-consciously wired in. And that's collectively showing up in very organized ways to get our attention. And so emotional intelligence that people love to talk about or self-regulation, that is our ability to be curious, to do the sorts of things that you're talking about where you're going to say, okay, well, why am I, you know, to asking the questions, why do I have these emotions? Why do I have this perspective? Why am I feeling this in my body? Why am I looking at life in this way? Why am I having these behaviors? Is this disruptive to my functioning? Is it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and going through a process of deconstruction and, and reconstruction, much like flying a plane, you know, you take off and you fly and you land. It's a whole cycle process. And most people in our current very mechanistic, reductionistic age have almost separated out the philosophical aspect of humanity from the very functional, physical aspect. And, and it's come because of our tremendous advances in neuroscience and medicine. We've got, we've got so caught up and it's, it's very exciting in all the understanding of human biology. And it's fantastic, but it's not the key. It's not the only thing. It's, it's, it's not that everything is physical. The physical is important, but don't get me wrong. But the mind is the aspect that's activating the physical. If you did, you everything disintegrates. But while we're having this conversation, it is our mind with all this conscious, subconscious, non-conscious, all these things, you and I being able to make sense of the electromagnetic light waves and auditory sound waves and this, the words and unique way we think. All of this that's happening is basically generating our human connection and that cannot be just described by a physical reaction the, the the aliveness that we generate in this conversation is the thing that's keeping our heart beating and or if i did an EQEG on your brain it would be the energy that it picks up if i did an ekg on your heart it would be the, heart, the energy that that's any all of the, the any kind of way that we can look at the human body the things that keep your physiology going, that's your mind and that needs more attention. And it used to get more attention, but in the last 40 years, there's been a shift to, well, that's, you know, that's the hard question of science. Let's focus on the easy question of science. And that's been to created a huge gap in our understanding of human behavior and has led to a lot of the crises that we're seeing and a lot of the frustrations that people have and mental health issues and so on. I mean, I've never studied this. I've read, I always say this, I've read one book and half the Bible and I have these rationales and, and I was told it was these rationales I'm able to put together and I was told it was quantum physics and it kind of started when I put together this process about eliminating unconscious bias but in a little deeper thought because I'm a very deep thinker it's funny you said four there the four things yeah, so if you think about the four things I always said I came up with this thing about creation of four because I think God created everything in force. He created the universe in four powers he created the universe with four parts and it's all linear Right. And then you go into the planetary system. There's four terrestrial planets with four gas planets. We identify that the wrong way. But when you go to Earth, there's four sections of the uh, of the Earth, inner core, outer core, mantle, crust, four winds, four directions, and then get into the vibrations of four elements and so forth. So it's funny you said four. So. When you think about human beings, you know, Book of Gates says there were four human beings. But in, in based on, because I said, if you took away the emotion, 
and you start to understand non-conscious better. All right. If you had four human beings, you could predict they would have to have some type of pure source programming and direction. So you think about how this design is. You could determine what those four people do, right? So I think your explanation would speak to God had to create more than two people, right? So maybe the Egyptians were right about creation of four to kind of set up these different processes of humanity. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And, and you know, we, when we look at things like quantum physics, which is fundamental to everything that we know about our functioning as humans, it's fundamental to every process, every scientific process. It, it, it's what works your phone. It's what helps your it, – it's everything. It's the foundation of who we are. It's the most fundamental and accurate of sciences and underlies everything. We see so many of these incredibly deep spiritual philosophies coming in. I've actually written a few things about um, in my books on quantum physics as well, but at a very basic level for people to understand when you start talking about sort of spiritual things and quantum physics you're talking about very fundamental stuff and and you know mind falls into that zone and we can go if it's 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 fascinating so when you look at i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. The four, the conscious, subconscious, non-conscious, and then unconscious, which is a state that your brain goes into. It's very interesting to see when you put it all together, how our experiences become part of us and then influence how we show up and how we can then work backwards and deconstruct and reconstruct how much power we, I hate to use the word power, but how much ability we have as humans to not just sit and be knocked by life, but to actually really explore deeply and get very curious and really go you know, go deep into how we're functioning. That makes sense. Yeah, because I've I had this thing except things kept something kept telling me that it's, everything is linear by four. So you said the four parts, right? We're made of four. Human body is made of four humors. You know, four humors, four parts, psychological parts, four human beings. You know, if science knows this, why don't we unearth the truth and set things up properly so we can start redefining things the right way instead of operating in this little, this middle of the road space and go directly to these foundations and improve this with science because people want to stand on science all day long when they're putting together a process that means nothing to humanity. But they could re- go the opposite direction and leverage that to improve humanity with some of these these foundations that we have believed in that are not true. What is yeah. it? <laughs> well, I, I know I, I ask myself that question often. You know, I've had certain debates with scientists where the you know there's the whole thing about we have no free will. Free will is an illusion, and you know that sort of Dawkins kind of thing. And there's a, there's a lot that I like about what he says too. Don't get me wrong. 
But the whole concept of, and I've said to scientists, well, you say that we don't have free will. This is just sort of bouncing off what you say. But you've chosen to say that. So you've used your free will to actually talk about there being no free will. So you kind of shoot yourself in the foot. The thing with science is that there's always camps. And the whole, but the whole purpose of science, science comes from the word sclera, which means knowledge. The whole purpose of science is to explore knowledge and to recognize that we don't know it all. I've spent 38 years researching this. How does a memory form into a thought and how can we manage that? And, and I'm still researching it because science keeps changing. We have to keep our mind open to how it can be explored and how it and and I have such a hard time sometimes helping people to understand the importance of getting to the non-conscious and not putting the mind aside and and saying oh that's the hard question of science as though that's enough you know we'll deal with that later let's deal with the you know and and so why science does that well there's a lot of science that is pushing and you know when, when you get science crossing into philosophy which is also science just a different way of looking at science. Science is not just, you know, your random controlled studies and that kind of thing. But science is knowledge. And when the more we cross fields, the better we will be as humans, which is what we used to do. And I'm not saying that the past is better than the present. But if I hear what you're saying, the more open-minded application of what we what we learn, that's disappeared a little bit over the last few years with reductionism. And I think reductionism has limited our view. And to where there's been such tremendous advances, it needs to be blended with what we already had and change the way that we have discussions. Um, and that's kind of lacking a little bit in science. It's, it's happening more. It's very, very such strong camps, which is unfortunate. And this, the camp that tends to dominate is the one that's very me mechanistic, very reductionistic. That's what the layperson is getting exposed to, mainly, predominantly. The more philosophical, I believe that's more accurate, isn't something that's discussed on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, it's, you get to these kind of podcasts where you maybe go and explore a little deeper. It's a macro world, right? The more choices we create, you know, the more things we're going to try to build or whatever it is out of a, a percentage of whatever it is, a macro this, macro that. And that's why I came up with this other thing. And this, or, and this will speak to where I was going about your, and this will lead up to your book. There's two thought processes. I think most of society, 95%, maybe, maybe higher, look at things as discovery, right? So when you come at things as a discovery mindset, you're only creating more micro situations. It's just like all these tech companies want to build a third party this, a third party this that cost them a hundred million dollars when they could go and, and, and then feed off. And the only thing is, is these, these hundred million apps that they make are feeding off some app that's free to the public, right? If that makes any sense, because you don't need these third parties if you can go to source. So having the discovery mindset, I think is where we're at as a, a society. But if we came at things from a creator's mindset, right, and went directly to the foundation and looked at things from creation, you can get answers a lot quicker, right? If yeah. you come from a creator's mindset. Mm -hmm. And that leads up. Um, the reason I'm saying all these things, uh, the only the only way understanding all of this, and I think the only way we can help improve humanity is starting with young people and identifying the non-conscious, which you brought up, which is I'm glad to hear that that piece of the puzzle that I haven't wasn't completely. I was aware of it, but not completely aware. So that'll help me more. But why are we not looking at the non-conscious and then? This is how we need to start these kids at with their subconscious. And this leads up to your book you wrote about kids and their mental 
state. What is the foundation of that for you? One of the things as a clinician and as a researcher and then just as a human is that life is messy. We all know that. And so that's why I have worked a lot around that term that one of the things I say a lot is it's okay to be a mess. But as long as we manage that mess, because messiness is is this creative process. It's create creativity is a very messy process, and each moment of every day, we unex- there's, there's so much unknown that's going to happen. There's a certain amount of prediction that we can make about what's going to happen in the next moment, but it's a prediction as opposed to an accurate um, situation. So it's, it is every moment. I, I, I do agree with you. Creativity is the core. Creativity is is will lead to discovery, and it's a different type of discovery when we're creative. So when it comes to children, it's really uh, as humans we messy, and that messiness is part of this creative discovery process or this creative process of being human when we don't allow that creative process to happen when we don't provide the mental skills to be able to talk about an experience that a person has had and we just take that and bucket it or silo it into a list of, of, of symptoms with an assumption that there's something wrong with a person if they don't operate according to the bell curve that takes power away from people and it takes a lot of hope away from people so we have a whole generation of gen alpha z and millennials that have grown up under the philosophy of this is a bad emotion this is a good emotion that's a bad thought and you need to get rid of that bad thought by thinking of another thought and instead of saying okay that's it, it, so we've got a whole generation few three generations that have grown up with pathologizing of childhood and medicalizing of misery. But yet we need to understand the experiences of life to grow as a human, and we need to all this very philosophical stuff. It's all part of our human behavior. People make choices, they affect the world and they affect others and those those create struggles and it creates messiness and we have to know how to navigate those ex- the experience. So if you remove the ability to have the mental skills to be able to navigate the experiences of life and to be able to see that depression and anxiety are not bad things, but they are these juggernauts, these emotions that are actually giving us information that we can learn from. So instead of saying, oh, I must eliminate depression, it's, oh, what does the depression mean? It's a complete and utter shift of what is it telling me? So there's depression over here and there's maybe this side, maybe what we would call healthy emotions and these would be what they would call unhealthy. And I, I really hate that distinction, but that's what people talk about because all emotions are good. But if we label it like that and, and you're telling someone that you have depression or you have anxiety and you're telling a child or an adult this and you're telling them that that's a symptom of you having something wrong with your brain, something wrong with you as an individual, you don't give them the ability to, or the mental skill to understand that emotion and the behaviors and the perspectives and those other three parts. And then that tips them into a direction where they become hopeless and increase mental health problems. But if you tell a child or an adult that depression, anxiety, frustration, jealousy, envy, these things are messy and they go hand in hand with the joy and the, you know, they're all kind of balanced. And instead of trying to control those, why don't you entertain them? Why don't you be curious about them? Why don't you see what they link to in your body and your perspective and where they're coming from and what's the source and what's the root and how did you get there in the first place and what was the processing? So when you start teaching a person those mental skills, you're teaching them to not just go through life. You're teaching them to actually stand back and have the mental skills and the words to tell the narrative. So this book is written because of the mental health crisis that I've seen growing over the last 40 years of my 
my career. And I worked a lot with two and three and young children as well as adults, adolescents and adults in my practice. And we reach millions with our platform of all ages. But I felt the need to write this book now because I, it's time for us to come back to, to stop pathologizing childhood, to allow our kids to be messy, to allow them to be able to have a way of of the energy that builds up in those thought net, the, the psychoneurobiological networks from the experiences of life, if, if they just suppress them, it's going to explode in their life. But if they can have a way of being able to, this is how I'm feeling, this is how it feels in my body, this is, you know, this is how it's affecting how I look at life. Obviously, on their level and the languaging and everything and the techniques, it's all very simplified in the book. I'm giving you the, you know, the big picture view. Um, as adults, when you teach a child to do that, which they learn, two and three olds can learn this, then they start being, being reflective and curious and, and deconstructing. And when you go through this deconstruction process, which is basically a five-step process that your mind, brain, body go through to build networks into the brain. So for a moment, let me just stop right there and just explain that part of the work I've done is to look at how does life get into your network to drive you? How long does it take to get to the point where you are driven by that or where it's just an experience that doesn't actually impact you? And then how can you reverse engineer if it's negative? How can you build on that if it's positive? Now, that's a very simple explanation of the work that I've done in habit formation and memory and learning and all that kind of stuff. But taking all of that, I found that there's five basic processes that you can fit. I'm not saying that this is a system. It's not a, it's a system. And it's not a technique. It's not replacing anything. It is basically how you get stuff in and out of your brain. So whatever you want to do, whatever technique, whatever system, whatever philosophy, whatever you're trying to do in your life, when you fit them into this 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 process, you are going to get the networks of your brain working properly so that you can then self-regulate and um and start to to lead the life that that you want to lead, which is embracing the depression as part of your growth and not being scared of it, and recognizing sadness as part of is it normal and grief is is a normal process to grieve and how to manage that and all these kinds of things. And that's what's not being taught to kids at the moment. There's a lot around. Oh, let's talk about our feelings. But if you just talk about your feelings and you don't link it with the other three, you're going to crash. It's kind of like flying a plane. And I mentioned this earlier on. That when a pilot prepares to take off, there's a lot of preparation before they take off with the co-pilot and engineers in the tower. Then they take off, they fly and they land. If they don't prepare, there's going to be a crash. If they only prepare and they don't do anything else, they'll never progress in life. If they prepare and take off but can't fly, they'll crash. If they prepare, take off and fly but can't land, they'll crash. So it's all these aspects. And what we're doing with a lot of the ways that we we help people help themselves and in in a self-empowerment way or a therapeutic way is and with children and adults is we teaching them to do a lot of preparation breathing meditation all these things but we which is but people aren't progressing it's bandits affirmations all these things which work but they're not going to be sustainable for change over the long term so what we want to teach our kids is yes let's have these decompression preparation type things breathing to calm ourselves down and get ourselves in a good neurophysiological state but let's also learn how to take off and taking off doesn't mean just label our feelings let's name our feelings you've got to go from the feeling to the behavior to the perspective to the body sensations you've got to link it all you've got to go through reflecting you've got to capture that in a brain friendly way you've got to find the this has happened what do i do what's my action to so there's a whole process that we need to go through which is taking off flying 
and landing. And that's what's missing. And that's what I've tried to reintroduce with my work over these years. So the neurocycle is basically how you would help a child when they go through an experience and you give you the most basic, simple level. Let's say they've been bullied at school and you notice that their behavior's changed and they're coming home and they're not sleeping and they're not eating as well. And they're just difficult when they get in the car and they're just more withdrawn and they, whatever. And you, you know, there's something going on and you worry and you speak to the teacher and they don't quite know, but they've noticed there's been a drop off at school work or something. So you go to your doctor and they say, have a few questions and you get a diagnosis, maybe clinical depression, maybe ADHD. And you think, well, that's the reason you feel a bit of relief. But then you think, now what? Where did this come from? You ask the doctor and they say, oh, well, they've got something wrong with their brain. Or why they got something wrong with their brain? Because they're depressed. Why are they depressed? Because there's something wrong with their brain. And you start a whole circular reasoning thing. And that doesn't help. So, And that's what the research shows doesn't help. So I wanted to give equip parents in a very simple way. And and this book is very, very simple. This is the one we're talking about. How do I And I'll help- say the name of the book is, I'm sorry. We'll say, I'll say, yeah. How to help your child clean up their mental mess is what we're talking about. Resilience to mental health. So it's really the most simple thing. Your child gets in the car, they're kicking the car seat or they're young or they're just withdrawing all these things that you are able to say, okay, I know this is not who you are. This is something happening. Let's sit down together and let's start working out what's going on. And you follow this five-step process, which helps to bring the, the network into the conscious mind from the non-conscious, the N-O-N, non-conscious. And once it's in the conscious mind, we know from neuroscience, when you're consciously aware of something, then it becomes weaker and more malleable to change. And that's when you can start then changing, which is that deconstruction process. You know, why am I having this? What happened? What can we do about this? Like, you've been bullied. How often has that happened? Let's understand if you've been bullied, they've probably been bullied. What can we do about this? So there's a whole process that's involved. And so without, I mean, it's, I don't want to throw too much detail on people, but there's a simple five-step process called the NeuroCycle, which I also have in an app. And there's an adult version too in the app. And there's a book, uh, How to help you Clean Up Your Own Mental Mess, which is this process of basic mind management. How do I manage my mind in the moment? If someone yells at me in a meeting and they're totally toxic in that business meeting or my kids are out of control, you have an argument with a spouse or something, how do I get myself back under control so that I can have wisdom in that moment? How do um, you can use a neurocycle for that in, in two minutes or one minute or 30 seconds? Or you can use it for the other stuff, or habits that we've developed. So things like being on social media too much, which the more, whatever you think about the most is growing and driving you. And there's a huge problem we know currently with young girls that are developing tremendous eating disorders because of social media and looking at, well, if I don't look like X, then there's something wrong with me. So there's identity crises and eating disorders. And it's been a bit of a thing for a while now. It's how do I help my child understand that when I look at that, I'm growing these trees in my brain, the bigger they get, the more and these trees in my brain are in my non-conscious as well they're driving me so how can I weaken that tree and fix up that root and so that we de- reconstruct that tree and that's pretty much what the neurocycle will help do over time is help the child whether they are two whether they're 20 whether you three years old whether you're 80 years old is to recognize those signals whether it's a bad habit whether it's a day-to-day struggle or whether it's one of those big things like a trauma early childhood trauma or adolescent trauma or trauma any stage of life. Trauma is something that's happened to us. 
verbal abuse, sexual abuse, war abuse, you know, that kind of loss, grief, illness, those kinds of things that have happened to you that you don't have control. Not everything's trauma. A bad habit's not trauma. Trauma's something that's happened to you. So this system's excellent. I've spent years developing it for trauma as well to help people that have been through all kinds of levels of trauma, traumatic brain injuries, um, neurological things like dementias and things like that. So I've tried to simplify all of that. And the way that the book is arranged is all these all these cartoons. I've created a cartoon called Brainy. We even have a little plush toy, um, a Brainy plush toy. And this cartoon appears throughout the book. And it basically walks the mental health journey with a child. There's a coloring book as well, which goes through different scenarios. But basically, I explain in the book how to explain thoughts to a child using the analogy of trees and how you're going to go through this process, the superpower of the neurocycle to heal the roots and how you um, then can reconstruct and, and how life and how not everyone's going to like you and, and sad things. It's okay to feel sad. This is how we manage it. So that's what the neurocycle does. The second part of the book, I explain the neurocycle in depth. These little blocks of how you would explain it developmentally to a child of three versus seven versus 10, etc. And then the last section is how to recognize if your child's got trauma or an identity crisis or some social problem going on or sleeping issues or labeling issues where a child's been labeled and they're locked into that label. So it's how to recognize those four signals and then how to help yourself and your child to process them. But I think probably what's the strongest thing, well, what's overarching in this book is that if you're going to help a child or an adolescent, it starts with you helping yourself. And I often get asked that question. If I had to do one thing, to help with the mental health crisis currently, what would I do? And I would say, help yourself. Be authentic about your own issues. Be able to identify, work through that neurocycle yourself to say, I'm experiencing this, this is why, whatever. And that is a demonstration to a child that it's okay to be a mess, but we can manage this. And it therefore giving the child and the adult the mental skills to be able to deal with, we, with what we are exposed to. So it's all mind management. And this is what right goes back to question number one. Why are we sitting with these problems? Why do we keep getting stuck in these pocket narratives? Because we're just not rewiring them. We're not managing them. We're not using mind management and developing self-regulation. Well, I, I feel your pain because with the knowledge you have in getting people to relish this information and translate this information to society as it is today is is a tough thing. It's very challenging. It's a very tough and, and 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 with that answer, I mean, I think, you know, to sum it up and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're you're catering a process to that individual based on what they're specifically going through because when you set that up, it's we're always looking as a society for an answer somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And we're always splitting to there's always two sides to something. Right. You know, it's just like everything. It's like we got to split everything. And one side is this one side is that it's not like that. It's more about catering to yourself and, and looking within yourself and fixing yourself first. If you okay. fix yourself first, everything else is, will work out around you. I sit with my pain. How do I get to face these demons? How do I get through this? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you like think of the dumbest stuff we force people to listen to, right? How do we per replace that dumb stuff and take this knowledge you have and make people relish this no matter what? You, you know what I mean? I do. And I and, and thank you for saying that. And yes, that's that's why I do what I do is to wipe on into this full time to and 
to, to try and show people and it's experience when people start recognizing how to read those signals and they start going through that process of rewiring their networks and the second neurobiological networks it's the most freeing experience so it's experience that then generates experience and i've worked in schools for years and in therapeutic practice and trained physicians and you know we, we're spreading the word but the biomedical model is very dominant you know labeling and diagnosing and medicating and you know there's a place for obviously there's a place for all these different things but the way it's just like you there's there's a model in place to help people to manage their mental health that is not actually scientifically stabilized it's actually been disproved and it's a model that's dominant and that's what worries me you know that's where i do feel a lot of pain because there's a lot more problems being created than what we need and empowerment that's why i just decided the best thing i can do is from grassroots up is to empower people to be able to empower themselves and their children to cope with life and understand the power that is within to be able to self-regulate you know in that way they can then question what society throws at them and and you know those kind of models that are out there well the, the system created is an absolute and absolutes don't work for everything and everybody, you know, you can't use an absolute on, you know, I, I, I go over the, and that's a whole different topic and I could probably keep going and going and going. But if we want to find the book, how to help your child clean up their mental mess, where can we get the book? Anywhere books are sold. And then we also have a website, drleaf.com. We have a store there and they've got these bundles. So they want to get all three, like the coloring book and the little brainy, which is the character in the book. That's, you can get it there. Also, my social media handles Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I have a podcast called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. So I talk there about helping adults and children, so all ages, actually. Nice. Well, hopefully this is planting a seed for change because I think we're at a point when you talk about these things and dissect these things and, you know, we're at a point where things need to be birthed the right way. And, th you know, most, most all narratives need to be rebirthed exactly. because there's nowhere else to go. Exactly. We have to improve our knowledge, keep, keep, keep creating from the knowledge that's there. Yes. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and I think it's a very good conversation. I, hopefully people can learn something from the conversation. It will went a little longer than anticipated, but I think that proves to the content about what we're talking about that you should l learn something from this discussion. This has been Dr. Caroline Leaf and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank you. Thank you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.